Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be taking a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today's Beef Watch podcast is a producer's perspective, and I have the privilege of being joined by Curtis Grubbs, who's a rancher from Banner County, Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today, Curtis. Thank you for having me. Well, Curtis, the focus of our conversation today is going to be around utilizing pasture range and forage insurance. But before we talk about that, tell us a little more about yourself, your ranch, and the resources you have the opportunity to manage there. Okay, so we're principally a cow-calf operation. We do run some cattle out as yearlings. Um, We calve in May and June. Um, We run pretty strictly on rangeland in the summer. And, um, and then we mostly graze corn stalks in the winter and try to limit how much hay feeding we do. Um, we, you know, we try to make cows work for their living. So probably one of the most challenging things we deal with is the fact that it's pretty dry in this country, but that's pretty normal. Um, we do, um, graze some dry land forages, but we kind of try a little bit of everything um and try to keep our options open for different different avenues we can go down ultimately our goal would be to graze all of our cattle as as yearlings but right now we're we're weaning our steers and and we run them out on stocks in the winter and then sell them after they've been off the cow for 60 or 90 days and then we run our heifers through and we AI breed some of them and then we grass the rest of them and sell them in September the following year. So as far as the PRF goes, it has been, I guess originally where I first heard about it was in the practicum um, that Aaron and Dallas Mount put on here quite a few years ago. I think we've been using it for about nine years now, but, um, and they had presented it as a tool in the toolbox and that's kind of how we've used it. It's something that it's, it's worked for us and, um, it's something that, that really works well. If you do hit that year when it's really dry, like this year, um, treated us really well. The premiums have been running. I mean, they've been pretty reasonable, really, you know, um, costing us and, and we're buying in at the highest level. That seems like that's where it works, but it's costing us probably a little over a dollar an acre for, to cover our rangeland. And most years that's kept fairly constant. Probably the, one of the things I've disliked about the program is it does kind of tend to bounce a little bit and we've had um well one year they and this was the only year that we lowered our protection was because they were wanting about four bucks an acre and so that year i went ahead and i lowered the protection so i could get it down to about two bucks an acre and but um I don't know if it was just that year we had plenty of rainfall and we, then we ended up paying the premium. Now we've only had to pay, actually pay our premium about two or three years out of nine years. And, um, and you hate writing the, actually writing the check, but usually when you write a check, that means that you got adequate rainfall for the year. And every other year, 
it has at least paid the premium and which is pretty good for all you having to do is sign a piece of paper and last year it returned oh it, it actually returned about three and a half bucks an acre over the premium um and this year it returned about oh seven and a half bucks an acre over the premium so it was really good this year but as everybody well knows this year was very dry so um also this year we did for the first time um use the forage the forage insurance you know we we've every other year it's just been um buying the rangeland protection uh, we decided we'd go ahead and try the forage deal as well which it's a little more expensive it's more in the range of 10 bucks an acre um there again we bought in at the highest level of protection and it was kind of um so it's kind of not super familiar with the with the forage deal as well um it it did we did get a payment you know it it um it probably paid off in that oh seven or eight dollar an acre range as well so i mean nothing much to write home about but neither was our forage crops this year we we principally grow like forage millet and things like that and that only made about a quarter to a half a ton to the acre so anything extra was super helpful um you know like i say as expensive as hay is it still doesn't buy a lot of hay but it it is just one more thing you know and and none of those things i mean yeah it's, it's really nice to get the check but it doesn't stop a disaster but it is something that does help ease the burn you know in a in a tough year probably the other thing i think and then maybe this is part of what the insurance company is still trying to figure out you know is is because they they keep seeming to kind of bounce the thing around a little bit um and they've changed the grids from time to time and the grids i think are overly large so you can do a deal like last year and not get a drop of rain but because they got rain somewhere else in your grid um you're you're not going to trigger a payment but it is because it is strictly strictly based on rainfall you don't have to do anything as far as applying to get paid um but as a whole i've really liked it and it is has been super helpful and that mo most years it's seeming to seeming to pay back so yeah so curtis i guess let's talk a little bit about how the insurance works and so for those who aren't familiar with it uh this is subsidized it's subsidized at three different levels if you insure at the 70 or 75 percent of precipitation coverage it's subsidized 59 percent if you're at 80 or 85 percent of precipitation it's subsidized at 55 and then if you're at 90 which i think is where you're at curtis it's subsidized yes, it at 51 percent yep so and also it's two month intervals throughout the year so january february february march just go through the calendar year you can't insure more than uh one two month interval so you couldn't insure january february february march but I guess share with us a little about your strategy in terms of when you insure for the precipitation and kind of what's been the driver for you on that. So we um, do April, May, and June, July. And the June, July, um, 
I, I, the reason, the logic I use for picking those two periods is because that's when we get most of our rainfall. And it seems to me like the months when it really matters is in that, um, particularly April, May, because that's when we get, it seems like the lion's share of our rain for the year. And, um, if you don't get it, then you're, you're in deep trouble. And, but it also seems like in a dry year, um, that's when we're going to be most exposed. But the June, July, in particular, because, you know, I mean, so many years, and that's that was the case this year, you know, where after the first of June, we basically didn't get another drop of rain until here just in the last few weeks. And, um, and so that really triggered our um, protection on that, that deal. So, the, like I say, you know, I... I can't speak to the months other than what, because I've used done the same periods throughout um, the whole entire time I've done it. So I, I can't really speak to how, uh, other than anecdotal about what the other periods of the year um, are at. So I guess really, Curtis, you've tried to tie when it rains in your forage production and, and you're in an area of the panhandle where predominantly cool season grasses, you have some warm season, I know, but predominantly things like western wheat, needle and thread, threadleaf sedge, where that April, May, June precip really is a driver of what you produce in terms of grass. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, basically, just like this year, and this year was a dry year, we got adequate moisture in April and May, especially um, early. And because we are principally cool season, we ended up having plenty of growth now because everybody was predicting drought clear from the first of the year, you know, we'd already kind of made some provisions to maybe stock a little lower uh, anyway. And so we, we kind of set some things in motion already. We delayed going to grass until later. Um, so we, we did some other things. And so we had adequate grass, even though it was a dry year, we had just enough, we had enough or early moisture and surprisingly, you know, I mean, cause we got some pastures with some warm season stuff too. Um, prairie sand reed, big blue stem and things like that. And those grew surprisingly well, um, you know, because I was going, you know, out there and the ground just harder in a rock and you auger a hole and there was no moisture in the ground and that grass came on. But, you know, that's kind of one other aspect of what we do is we try not to, we try not to hurt our pastures that way. And that kind of stores some moisture as well. So the little bit we get um, is already there. But yeah, I mean, if it does, if we don't get any moisture in that April, May timeframe, then we're in trouble. And, um, and when it seems like even if it does come later, it, it, it never catches back up. So, uh, so that, that's the, our biggest exposure is April, May. So Curtis, I know you've used this for several years and uh, worked with your insurance agent on it. You've kind of set, you feel like what you think is the right thing for you is to maximize the coverage in terms of the amount of precip you can insure for. So you're insuring at 90. One of the other things with the insurance is you can pick what's off of a county base value. So I'm gonna throw out a number, let's say the county base value is 12. That's saying the, the forage value on average for 
where you're located is 12 bucks an acre, you can insure for 60% of that value or 150% of that value. What's kind of been your strategy there? I, I always go for 150. So you're you maxim know, and maximizing the value of the grazing. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So essentially in this program, you've chosen to maximize the amount of insurance you can take on the precip and on the value of the grazing. Yes. Yes. And, and I can't confess to that being, you know, being smarter or more or less other than that's what's been working, you know, and, and uh, there again, I mean, um, like my insurance agent in particular, and which I know there's several people that, that sell it. Um, but the, what they confess is they say they're surprised that not more people use this product. And so they don't always seem super familiar with it either. So, um, as far as making recommendations is say, well, you know, if you did it a little different here, I have had them run scenarios for me where they'll print off different stuff to show me, um, we'll say if you insured at this level, your premium would be this. If you do this, your premium would be this. Well, in my mind, the premium, except for with one, that one year that I talked about as an exception, the premium been big enough to be a concern. Like I say, I, I hate writing the check, but, um, but uh, if, if I do have to write the check, it's not that big a deal. Because and it's always in a year when we're doing pretty good because we've gotten the rain, right? So, um, so that the cost, the actual cost of the insurance has never really been a stopping factor most years. Yeah, one thing I should mention is for people who are thinking about using this insurance, there's some online tools where you can go and actually put in different scenarios and see how it would have worked for you historically. It's based off of 70 years of NOAA weather data. And I would sure encourage you, if you're thinking about considering using this product, be an informed consumer. Go work with a tool like that or work with someone who's knowledgeable who can help you look at how would this insurance have performed for me on my grid or my number of grids over the last 20, 30 years. And that can really give you some insight into terms of how it may work. And, you know, Curtis, I think what you also shared is you focused on insuring April, May, June, July. Well, historically, for this part of the world where you're at, those tend to be our consistently more wet months. That's when we tend to get a greater portion of our precip. So also the premium for those months and the volatility is less than it would be like November, December, January, February, where we don't get a lot of precip. And there can be quite a bit of variation on the average just because those are drier months. So based on when you insure, your premium is more expensive or less expensive as well based on historic precipitation and the dependability of that precipitation. Yes. Uh, Curtis, talk a little bit, a little bit about your, your strategy. You grow some annual hay, usually hay millet, and you looked at utilizing this annual forage insurance and precipitation insurance for that. Uh, just touch a little more yes. on, on thinking about that and, and your strategy there. Well, I think, you know, I think it's something I'm going to try again this next year. Um, basically, you know, I, I don't have a super amount of, of farm ground, you know, but we do try to, you know, grow 100, 150 acres of hay every year. And, you know, in, in a typical average year, you know, we're going to yield, you know, 
two to three ton an acre. Well, um, you know, so that's, that's pretty significant. And obviously in a year like this, um, you know, if that hay is costing 150 bucks a ton and for what, for what that paid, it's not going to buy a lot of hay, but it helps. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure yet, but it, but it is something, you know, uh, that you get there. And I, I think I'm going to have to mess with that one a little bit more to really know. Um, but it's really been my only option because it's hard to buy uh, regular crop insurance for forage crops. And I mean, there is NAP insurance, but I've never had much luck collecting on that. I mean, cause that, that seems, uh, it's, uh, there, well, there's a lot more involved in getting that and it's kind of got to be a lot wider disaster before it really seems to pay. And so it's kind of been, there really is no other option to insure our forage crops. And so if you got something there, you know, it's, it's definitely better than nothing at all. Curtis, anything else on this topic you think would be valuable for people to know or understand based on your experience? Well, I think that, um, like you said, I, you kind of want to check out what grid you're in. I, I think that is probably really important. You know, um, if, if you can kind of, uh, if you look at a grid and it historically is showing a lot higher rainfall than what, what you say, well, I live in a dry spot and never rains here, you know, but yet your grid shows that you're above average rainfall. You might not have as good of a shot but the vice versa can also be true. And, um, you know, so, so that could definitely, um, have some effect on, on how that works for you. And I, I highly recommend it. You know, I mean, I don't think it's a, um, it, it, I don't think it's ever a home run, but, um, but I, I do think it's something that's an important tool to use. The thing is, I don't know that many people that do actually use it. You know, it seems like the best kept secret around and maybe Aaron, maybe, you know, of more, maybe more people are getting into it now, but it just seems like, but I've heard uh, several people grumble say, well, I bought it one year and it didn't pay. And, you know, if you got to sit down, write out a five or $10,000 check and for nothing, you know, you're probably saying, well, I could have spent that money somewhere else. But in a, when you get a really dry year, which we do get every few years out here, um, it's helpful. So, and I seem to remember, uh, I don't remember if it was in this particular thing or if it was in the insurance on the, on the livestock, you know, if, if you looked at the average over a 10 year period, maybe it's a wash, but but so, I, I also remember something about, you know, if you can kind of help make the dips less, um, less uncomfortable, you know, that's probably the main thing that in the, the rough years, if you can make them a little more bearable, that's probably the biggest thing, you know, even if, even if over a 10 year period, may, maybe you're not, um, netting that much, but. I, I think on average it does it it's just something that over time I think it's a it's a good thing to have. 
And I think, Curtis, what you just hit on there is, you know, over time, the way that insurance currently set up because of the subsidy level, uh, if you stay with it for 10, 15, 20 years over time, statistically anyway, you should come out ahead just because the amount that it's subsidized. And and the scenarios I've ran, again, depends on where you're at, uh, the coverage level you pick, the years you're in, but, you know, somewhere around $1.50 to $1.70 payback for every dollar you put in. But the thing that you said, I yeah. think is so important is that you've been in it and you stayed with it over a nine-year period. So I think what yeah. sometimes happens is people try it for two or three years. They're writing a check like you talked about. They're like, you know what? We're not going to do this anymore. Well, about the time they stop participating next year or two is yep. when they would have got paid. So, you know, I think this has got to be a long-term strategy. I think it's got to be something you say, I'm going to commit to this for several year period because jumping in and out, I think is probably not a good strategy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that this year, particularly, they wish they'd had it, you know. Yeah. And, and so they'll, they'll look at it. It's kind of like the people that jump into the, in and out of the stock market, you know, you, uh, they wait until things get high and then they, and they say, Oh yeah, I better do that. Well, the next year might very well be a wet year, yeah. you know, and then, then it doesn't work, but you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty sold on it. So, um, I, I definitely think this is something we're going to continue to do. So, I mean, although you do need to act fairly rapidly, I mean, they did, I think they did extend the deadline to sign up to the 1st of December this year, but normally it's November 15th. So, um, you know, talk, talk to whoever your agent is, you know, to find out, but it's, it's coming up pretty shortly. If you want to sign up for next year, it's, it's something that's going to need to happen fairly quickly. Well, Curtis, I really appreciate you sharing about how you've used this tool, what's worked for you, some challenges and also the positives and, Appreciate your time today. Oh, you bet. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, we do have articles as well as a NEB guide on this topic. Also, if you are considering utilizing pasture range and forage insurance, I would encourage you to go online, look at the historic tool that's available there to see the different months that you can insure for, how that would have worked for you, be an informed consumer as you go to visit with your crop insurance agent and having thought through what you think might be the best long-term strategy as you consider this risk management tool.